Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You, you, you have consent. And don't forget while you're here to also subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel. Let's get into it. Fun Tuesday night in the sport. Former Baylor assistant Jerome Tang improved to, to 3-0 against Baylor. Penn State upset Wisconsin. Purdue played the, the fourth best team in Indiana on the road and beat them by 21. We're going to get to all of that uh, eventually. But I did want to start in Knoxville where Dalton Connect is on some kind of heater after scoring uh, 28 points last Wednesday at Mississippi State and 36 more uh, Saturday. At Georgia, the fifth-year transfer from Northern Colorado, uh, finished with a career-high 39 points in Tuesday's 85-66 win over Florida. He was 13-23 from the field, made four of the six three-pointers he attempted. He is now averaging 34.3 points in his past three outings. Dead leg. What if I told you a dynamic score on the wing was all Rick Barnes needed to turn a physical, defensive-minded basketball team into a, a good enough offensive team to maybe make a run at a at a Final Four. Would you buy that? I would not, not yet. Um, we'll we'll save the the March stuff with Tennessee once we get to March. But I'm not I'm not there yet. That Dalton Connect can be the the skeleton key to unlock Rick Barnes's inconsistency when it gets to March. But let's let's let's. Meet here to celebrate Dalton Connect because he is as not as put on. If you're watching on YouTube, hello, do smash that like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and tell if you know what. If you've got a friend that loves college hoops and you think they might need this podcast in life, let them know about the show if you could for us. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, call him right now. Call him right now. Well, after well, you know what? If you're listening to the show, pause that pause pause the podcast, shoot a text, phone call right now. Then we'll we'll talk to you here. Yeah, in the I, I actually I think the I think the better way to do it would be right now, um, Facetime somebody. Yeah. And when they answer, just take your phone and put it right on your computer and show them. Okay. And just force them to watch it. Don't even ask, don't ask them if they'd like to. Make them Facetime somebody right now. 
The problem with that is if you force someone to do that, either they're actually technically not subscribing to the YouTube channel. So I would I would request that you send a link, you know, send on a link, maybe get a little more proactive on that. The point I, I, I never said there wasn't a flaw in my strategy. I never said I didn't have is, flaws in my strategy. On your video screen right now, is Dalton Connect a first-team All-American? I would say yes. As coincidence would have it, our dribble handoff, our weekly Wednesday feature... Normally on Wednesday, sometimes Paris forgets and we run it on Thursday. Well, I just but forgot. our weekly Wednesday, have you, by the way, you filled that in yet or no? I don't even know what the topic is. Exactly. I have no idea. What is the topic? <laughs> I'm about to inform Parrish on, okay, yeah. on our workflow here. The topic this week is uh, if you remove Zach Eady, who would be your pick right now to be most likely to win national player of the year? Um, Dalton Connect is not my, is not my, 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 my submission. RJ Davis of UNC is my submission. But Dalton Connect would be, in my opinion, on the first team All-American list at this stage, particularly coming off the run that he's coming off because he did have a little bit of a lull. But right now, as we speak this morning, Dalton Connect uh, averaging 18.5 points, shooting 41.7% from three. He had a career best 39 points on Tuesday night. It was just Florida. Gators haven't yet won on the road this season. Todd Golden can't really get it going just quite yet in year two. That's another topic altogether. But Connect now has become the first Tennessee volunteer since Allen Houston in 1990 to have consecutive games of 35 or more points. And even before that, he had 28. So in his last three games, Dalton Connect, the Colorado Connection, 34.3 points, shooting 57% from the field, 56.5% from three-point range, averaging six rebounds, and has hit 20 of his 24 foul shots. So he is the key for Tennessee to be in that top five discussion overall. Uh, Tennessee has now won nine of its past ten. Uh, it did have that three-game losing streak to good competition. The only loss, respectable one, on the road against Mississippi State that just happened last weekend there. So... Uh, credit to connect. And he, as I said, this, I did an HQ hit late on Tuesday night. He is the most impactful transfer in the sport right now. I would take him to be more impactful than Hunter Dickinson personally at this stage of the season. And he is the latest, but perhaps biggest example in this nascent NIL portal era that we have here uh, that will give hope to any high major program that, uh, that thinks they might be able to, to find a gem at the low major ranks and to give any low major player that, that uh, let's be clear here is established. Dalton connect was a good player in the big sky at Northern Colorado. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an absolute all-star. He was second team all league last season, but it gives hope that in the years to come, someone else could be a Dalton connect. Obviously uh, that will be attempted and will not come to fruition many, many times over, but he proves that there are really, really good players out there that are capable. He is a grad student as well. So it's not like, you know, he's in, he didn't go to Northern Colorado for a year. He started outside the D1 structure, okay? Junior college, then to Northern Colorado, then finds a perfect home for himself at Tennessee. And he has really changed the dynamic of, of UT this season, one of the better players in the country. David Jones wants me to ask you if you're sure Don Connect is even the best transfer in the state of Tennessee. I would say, I, right now, Give me connect. If you watch the way that connect plays and what he does for Tennessee's offense, I would say it is, I would say it is connect. Uh, to revisit a conversation we've had previously. Do you know where Dalton connect was in David Cobb's transfer rankings? I'm sure he wasn't ranked at all. Hey, well, he was ranked. He was ranked at all. He was 40, 47th, 47. So would you rather have the 47th best transfer or the 47th best high school prospect? I know which one I'd like. 
Well, when it comes to this specifically, yes. But there's a chance you could find the 52nd race transfer and the 52nd high school prospect, and the high school prospect might have, be having a better season. Just yeah, as well, I don't have time to look that up. That's called selective data. That's all. Yeah. Well, I like selective data. I, I don't trust me. I know. I, I don't. I don't know if you've been paying attention. <laughs> I'm aware. But I enjoy. I enjoy selective data. Um. Now connect his his path to stardom, and I think we have reached stardom level, right? Yeah. I think you do this for a top five team. You're. Think, you're yeah. And, and in terms of college basketball, it is stardom. Uh, right. Within our universe, I think that's fair. So he was only six foot one when he graduated high school. All right. And he uh, enrolls in junior college, Northeastern Junior College. And while there, he apparently grows five inches. We should all be so lucky. This dude grew five inches while I was in junior college. I ain't grown since eighth grade. I've, I've, I've looked exactly like this since eighth grade. Uh, well, that's not true. You had hair. I have the pictures to prove it. No, I've always you did not looked like this. Look like this as a yes, person in high school. No. I did too. I have looked like this my whole life. I I haven't grown since eighth grade. This dude, this dude went to college and grew five inches. So he becomes a first team junior college All American and uh, ends up at Northern Colorado. He's in his home state. Um, leads the big sky in scoring as a senior. And then don't ever forget, the only reason this dude's still playing college basketball is because of COVID. Yeah. He, he's, he's played four full seasons of college basketball before he ever got to Knoxville. Uh, but he decides to use his fifth year, his COVID year. and Well, he's a grad transfer, too. So he still could have done this, I, th- I believe. Because he graduated from Northern Colorado. So he still would have been able to be a graduate student and eligible to play. I don't know if COVID is... No, I think, I mean, you can't play a fifth year without COVID. As a grad student, I think you could. I think I you don't, could. I would rather not argue this live, but I, okay. I, 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 I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this. Maybe I'm having selective data here, but I thought, okay, I could be wrong on that. Like, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me point regardless. Yeah. I, I believe, um, I, I'll look at the numbers real quick. He played two full years of junior college and then two full years of 30 plus games at Northern Colorado. This is his fifth year of actually playing basketball um, at the collegiate level. I believe that's a byproduct of the COVID year. Either way, um, he ends up in Knoxville. And as we talked about uh, Tuesday night on Inside College Basketball, Tennessee has had some, some habits that have traveled from one season to the next under Rick Barnes. I I think that's the, one of the, uh, signs of a of a coach who has really established a culture is that, um, yeah, the pieces are going to change year to year, but are there some things you can rely on? Like, hey, that's Tennessee basketball. This is something they do. Well, we know they're going to be physical with you. We know they're going to really guard you, and both those things were true last season. They're both true this season. One of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, they 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 they're going to beat you up a little bit. Uh, what the issue was last season, particularly after Zakai Ziegler went down, was that when they needed to go get a bucket, like who do you dump the ball off to? Like with all due respect, Santiago Vescovi maybe doesn't need to be the best player on a on a championship contending team, um, but but he was reduced. He was asked to maybe be that, uh, you know, at, at last season at, at Tennessee, and that, or at least one of them, and that. That, that proved difficult. They just got into situations sometimes where, hey, you need to you, you're you're on the wrong end of a 10-0 run. Can you stop it? Hey, you're down eight uh, on the verge of going down double digits. Can you get a bucket to stop this? They didn't know where to go with it. Well, Don Connect solves all that. I mean, you can just get like he's a guy you can. He's got size on the wing. He's he's a he's athletic. You know, I don't know if he'll 
to test off the charts at the combine, but he he he's not just a, he's not a stereotype. You know, he's he's six six. He's got a long arms. He's athletic. I would he, define him as an elastic college basketball player. Yeah, right? like he, he, he was on the floor. Yeah, I was in studio with Wally Zerbiak Tuesday night. Wally was like, he shoots it. He's got long arms and he shoots it. You know, he's got a high release. He's uh, he he's like, he's starting to show up on mock drafts and starting to get um, real NBA draft attention, and and that makes sense to me. Um, he looks the part. He does, and. Uh, if if they had not, you know, we're not going to go too deep onto uh, what would have happened uh, if they didn't get him. But if they didn't, it's it's interesting. Like Tennessee would still be a good team, but if they didn't bring him aboard, uh, it would be a markedly different team. But now, Volunteers at thirteen and four, just the one loss as I mentioned since the end of November, um, and defensively, you know, they are they're holding up. And granted, you know, Georgia, we'll see. Georgia did get a win on Tuesday night, but they won at Georgia. They get the home win over Florida. In the uh, in the bumped up tip time because of the storms there in Tennessee on Tuesday, um, they have not played a surefire tournament team in more than a month. But whatever, they're going to have more opportunities here. And to this point, if you're a Tennessee fan, like you're 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 pretty damn satisfied with where you're at. Universally projected top ten team, no matter the ranking or metric that you're looking at. Defensively, really really good again. And offensively, as Parrish mentioned, like coming along pretty well. Like this group is the second right now. It is pacing to be the second best offensive team that Barnes has had. The only one that was better was that tremendous team with Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield. They lost him. You know, I was there in Louisville um, during the 19 tournament. It was the 18-19 group. They lost in the Sweet 16 to Purdue in overtime. That's the only team, shouts to Jordan Bone, that was better offensively than this one. And this one's not going to probably reach that. I can't see this one being better than that one. That was a pretty damn good team overall, was a two seed. This group could well be a two seed as well if they can uh, come out on top. But yeah, Conexa, he's a real fun story. And there was, you know, at least I wondered, okay, he had a hot start. Is he maybe going to settle here into being like a really quality starter, but not necessarily, you know, uh, one of the three best, four best players in the SEC. Well, he has, he has <laughs> responded so uh, with so much authority in the past three games. After you know having really like a near three week stretch where he was down, but against Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi State, twenty eight plus points in all of them, um, getting it done on the boards to a certain extent, at least what he's asked to, and uh, continues to play. Uh, a decent percentage of minutes here as well, or at least he has as of late. He was not playing as much previously from a minutes perspective. Don't quite know why that was. Some of these were buy games, so I get it. They're blowouts, but um, as long as they can lean on him and he continues to have that knack for hitting a big shot, I mean, he just, when the ball flies off his hand from deep, whether he's open, coming off the curl, pulling up on the, uh, pulling up off the dribble, if he's covered, there's just a certain amount of confidence I think Tennessee fans now have that, it's not going in every time, but he's shooting 41.7% and a decent percentage of those are, are contested shots. And uh, he's been a revelation for the Vols. I went to Tennessee's official athletic website on Tuesday night. Just uh, I was looking for something else, but stumbled into the Vol store where you could order a Dalton Connect jersey for $150. You could order the Tennessee Dalton Connect jersey. 150 uh, 150 150 You ready for this? Out of stock. Wow. Yeah, look at that. 
He's like Knoxville's Lino Messi. He's like the Lino Messi of Knoxville. You can't get a jersey. Yeah, how about that? 150, by the way, for listen, I hope he's taking home the majority of the of, the, of those profits because well, he should. But 150 for a college player's jersey? Uh, that seems a little steep. If you asked me to guess blindly how much a Dalton Connect jersey was going for, I would have said eh, 99, 99 bucks right there. Yeah. Jerseys, man. Jerseys ain't no joke. You walk into a team store at a NBA arena, they ain't no joke. Yeah, if I if I want to walk in and get a Desmond Bain jersey at FedEx Forum right now, is that running me more than two hundred bucks right now? I don't know if it's more than two hundred, but it's gonna be it's gonna be somewhere between one and two. It's like one fifty. I don't uh I, I don't know that that would be out of uh out of the ordinary. That's about what you're looking at. Jer- jerseys, man. I'm looking. Jersey. We can we can get a word from our partners after this, whatever. But um. But I'm going to look up a Desmond Bain jersey. Yeah, you look up a Desmond Bain jersey. We'll we'll whip around the country next. Talk about what else we need to know from Tuesday night. But first, uh, we'll get uh, we'll get uh, for 150 dollars. We will get one word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Got uh, Nick in the chat. He says his, uh, he got an adult John Morant jersey recently. 150 that's what it cost. Yeah, I'm on the store here, grizzlystore.com. I'm sure you're quite familiar with it. Although it's it's, oh, yeah. fan, it's fanatics, so that's a different deal altogether. This isn't going to give me. I want to know if I'm walking in the building in the team store at FedEx Forum. You should you should have this information offhand, to be honest. You, I, you, I don't own a jersey. I, I don't. Mean, you're in the building all buddy, the time. You know, you don't take a little drive by there. No, I go in there when my wife texts me and says, "Can you get Oliver a Jaron Jackson shirt?" And that's when I go in there. But uh, other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't get to that part of the building too often. All right, you want to whip around what we had uh, in the sport here on Tuesday night? Yeah, whip around, whip, whip me around. There, oh, there we go, a little kinky. Um, let's start on Seton Hall. All right, St. Oh. John's, St. John's didn't have Patino, had COVID. Um, hopefully he's on the mend. I don't know if I know of a coach that has caught COVID and missed games more often than Patino. So seriously, like Rick, please, I hope you're doing okay here. Um, Seton Hall. Went on a twenty-eight nothing run in this game, Parrish. They destroyed St. John's, and in doing so, maintained a tie in the loss column atop the Big East standings. Seton Hall is now thirteen and five overall, six and one in the league. Uh, UConn is five and one. We'll get to their game they're playing on Wednesday night. We'll get to that later in the show here. St. John's, which was once four and one, has now dropped two in a row at Creighton. At Seton Hall, now it's got to get right this weekend. Try to at home against Marquette, but let's let's talk Pirates, man. They have lost once since December 9th. It was at Xavier, and are the surprise team in the Big East this season. Shaheen Holloway's team was picked ninth in the preseason. Alamir Dawes and Kaderi Richmond, uh, a couple of 
grizzled vets who are coming through huge. I mean, I've I've watched some or all of Seton Hall's for their past five games. The Butler game uh, over the weekend, St. John's last night, and then I watched their um, their Providence game and the loss against Xavier. Those two are ready for any and all oncoming traffic. They are they've been tremendous this season, and credit to Shaheen Holloway for thriving again in an underdog role. But as I said on HQ on Tuesday night, this is the Big East. This team is no longer going to take a single opposing coaching staff or team by surprise. Just not going to happen. You get to six and, six and one. You have three road wins in the conference, by the way, to this point. Um, they are headed to the NCAA tournament. Not a guarantee to get there because in the non-conference, they didn't do a ton. But man, oh man, Parrish. Uh, Seton Hall is making it up for it big time in the Big East. And we thought it could be Providence as a surprise team. We thought it could be Butler as the surprise team. Uh-uh. It is definitively those Pirates out of South Orange. Six and one alone atop the Big East standings. Four and three in quadrant one. One and one in quadrant two. Five and four in the first two quadrants. They do have a quadrant three loss at home to Rutgers. That resume, just the way I framed it, is like borderline top 25 and one. It, it doesn't have to be in there. Uh, but when you start to factor in strength of recent performances and just acknowledge that they're on a five-game winning streak, three of those five wins are quadrant one wins, and they're, again, alone atop the Big East standings as of this moment. Um, I, I did put Seton Hall in the top 25 and one on Wednesday morning. Shaheen Holloway doing a nice job at his alma mater. I just sort of uh, looked at the top 20 AP poll yeah. um, earlier today. We've got a lot of guys doing good stuff at their alma maters right now. What do we number, got? Number two, Purdue is coached by alum Matt Painter. Number four, North Carolina is coached by alum Hubert Davis. Number seven, Duke is coached by alum John Shire. Number 10, Memphis is coached by alum Penny Hardaway. Number 19, TCU is coached by alum Jamie Dixon. Number 21, Dayton coached by alum Anthony Grant. And Seton Hall, um, which is probably just a win this weekend away from entering the AP poll, is coached by alum Shaheen Holloway. Good stuff. That's a that's a you know, you always hope these types of things will work out. And they don't always. Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, an example of that. But um yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, six teams in the top twenty five AP poll right now are coached by by men who graduated from those schools. I uh, and I would expect that you know, Seton Hall is gonna hit it'll have at least one skid in there. I mean, next to our Creighton at home, Providence at home. So it's set up here to hopefully continue inflating its record, but it's got a road game against Marquette later this month. Um, it does get the the fortune here of dodging any kind of three-game road stand. It's in the midst of a three-game home stand and getting enough done here in the early part of the schedule. If you really look at the back end, just to really look down down the way at how they're going to finish the regular season, it's home Butler at Creighton at UConn, home Nova, home DePaul. So there's some tough ones in there, but you wrap up at home against Nova and then DePaul there. I think Seton Hall is going to be in the tournament. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to win the league. Now they're tied for first right now. I, I, I think water will find this level to a certain degree, but congrats to the pirates on, uh, on definitely exceeding expectations. At this point, more work to be done, but that's a really cool story elsewhere on Tuesday night in college hoops. Um, you know, I, 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 this is just a quick mention for me. Uh, Purdue wins at Indiana. It, it, it wasn't 
close. Indiana kind of flirted with making it semi, maybe interesting in the second half, but whatever. 87-66. Edie goes for 33 points and 14 rebounds, just further establishing his dominance over the player of the year race. And for Indiana, uh, it is, you know, it is just a lost season, unfortunately. It, it is now, I actually didn't check it this morning, but it was it was in the 90s of, of many a metric here. Uh, the Hoosiers as of Wednesday morning here. Oh, buddy, you know I got it. You know you got it, but let me do it. 94th at, at Ken Palm right now, and we almost have all preseason priors factored out. We got another week or so before it's all in-season data. 12 and 6. Doesn't have a good... Um, I mean, it doesn't have a good non-con win. I, I I can't call Maryland at home a good one there. Um, and and you know what do you, what do you want? Uh, weirdly, like Xavier Johnson has not been good. I thought he would be way better. They got into foul trouble last night. I got nothing on Purdue, Indiana, but if you have something, no, I, I don't have to. It speaks for itself. I don't have to get any jokes off. Uh, you know, yeah. like Kansas went into Indiana and like needed to really rally late to steal a victory at Assembly Hall. That is also one of the best teams in the country. And Purdue just went in there and handled them from start to finish. Indiana made a little run at some point to kind of make it interesting in the second half, but then Purdue stretched it right back out and wins by twenty-one. Um, it did occur to me, like, as we're going, ooh, Dalton Connect. Oh, wow. It's like Edie got 33 and 14. Like, he does, he just normalized <laughs> these ridiculous games. You know, when somebody else goes like 33 and 14, it's like, oh, wow. And with Edie, it's just like, yeah, 33 and 14. Of you course. are absolutely right about this. And maybe we shouldn't be so numb to it, but that 33 and 14 for anyone not named Edie, it is a like, should we leave the podcast with this? With right. Edie, it's, it's literally just another game. Right. Guys, it's not close. He's running away with player of the year. Like, knock on wood, if he stays healthy, there's just Purdue's going to be in the top five. Like, there's just not going to be competition for this. He's going to be the first person since Sampson to win the Naismith in back to back years. And um, just for the record, I do not mind that UConn is number one in the AP poll. I understand it. They were the highest ranked team last week that did not lose last week. I get it. But Purdue is six and two in quadrant one and 11 and two in the first two quadrants after last night's win. They lead the nation in quadrant one wins. They lead the nation in wins inside the first two quadrants. They could add a seventh quadrant one win this weekend at Iowa. Uh, Regardless of who's ranked number one in the AP poll, uh, Purdue right now has the nation's best body of work. If the selection committee were evaluating teams as of this moment, I'm confident they would make Purdue the number one overall seed. I I agree with that. And for the Purdue fans listening, I do know the game meant a lot after last season when Indiana swept Purdue. And so you get back there. I'm sure for that that staff and that roster, it does mean a lot as well. Let's talk Kansas State because it wins. Uh, it wins in overtime at home against Baylor. Gives Baylor its first loss in league play. The only undefeated team in the Big 12 now is Texas Tech, which has a game. We'll get to this in later in the show. But they've got a game on Wednesday night. We'll see if they can get out of the next 24 hours without a scratch in league play. It's going to be a big ask. Uh, Baylor probably should have had this game. But K-State made a huge rally at the end of regulation. And then they they really flipped it when Arthur Kaluma hit a top of the key three and he was fouled. It was a four-point play, turned a two-point deficit into a two-point advantage there. Um, no real shame whatsoever, obviously, at all. And Baylor going on the road at what looked to be, and it was an, it was an interesting Tuesday night for a couple of reasons there. But from a television standpoint, the game that, to me, that looked like just the most fun building to be in was was Bramlage and and good on K-State for getting its first quad one win of the season. Now, it might have and I, I didn't I can't retroactively go back and check. I, I don't know if when it beat Providence, 
that was technically a we didn't have the net rankings out there so like we don't know um, but that's definitely not a quad one right now they won over Villanova at home it's not a quad one not close to have a road win against uh, LSU doesn't register as a quad one win so the Baylor win it got until mid-January and that's that is aberrational for a big 12 team and one that is you know probably tracking toward getting into the tournament to wait this long to get a Q view Q view uh, Q1 victory easy for me to say here's the other deal though saw Rostin tweet this I didn't realize it till he did dude Kansas State has sleeps gone May. you didn't realize he sleeps in May I knew but I've known that for years I'm well aware of that that bit Kansas State is 10 and 0 in overtime games under Jerome Tang and they're 5 and 0 this season the odds of that are absurd. Only Florida State's Florida State's like 17 and 0 in its past 17 overtime games. But that's incredible there. They have OT wins this season over Providence, Oral Roberts, North Alabama, Villanova, and now Baylor. Uh, it's because of these close shaves that Kansas State, 13 and 4 record, 3 and 1 in the Big 12, well outside the top 40 in many uh, a predictive ranking. But good win for Jerome Tang. A nice victory for the Wildcats. We'll see if they can start building a, a tournament resume. They've got a tough schedule upcoming, so I think that win will will prove to have been necessary in retrospect. I mean, yeah, ten and zero in overtime is a nice record, but like, uh, why can't you get your work done in regulation, Jerome Tang? You know, well, you, you come here to drag Jerome. All right, but, but, hey, can I can I get a can I get a, a fourteen minute read and a court report? About why Kansas State can't win in 40 minutes? <laughs> you cannot, and no, you will not. <laughs> no, will it's, not it's awesome. It's awesome. Like, he's changed the entire culture of that program. Um, he's now 3-0 and against Baylor, his former employer. And Kansas State, like, it is true last night, got its first Quadrant 1 win. But if you start just framing bodies of work, they, one of the things they did well in the non-league, like, they didn't – you know, they're pretty low in the computers. They are probably projected. Um, I don't know. I'll just keep it simple and factual. They're pretty low in the computers, but they're one and one in quadrant one and three and three in quadrant two. So four and four in the first two quadrants with no additional losses. So they don't have any quad three bad stuff or quad four bad stuff. And like we've talked about before, if you don't damage your resume severely in the non-league and Kansas State didn't, if you then go 500 in the Big 12, that's that history says that's good enough. Every team that's gone 500 in the Big 12 since 2015 has made the NCAA tournament, except for the year 2020, where we didn't have an NCAA tournament. It's the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Kansas State's now three and one in the Big 12. All right. So they're 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 on their way to to hitting that finish line, if we are calling that the finish line. And what's interesting is that they have an advantageous league schedule in the big 12 we no longer have a true round robin right because there's too many teams for that so everybody like we have unbalanced schedules in the big 12 well kansas state gets to play oklahoma state twice and west virginia twice those are the two worst programs in the big 12 kansas state only has to play houston once all right so how about this the maximum number of games you can play in the big 12 against sub-75 teams in the net in your league, the maximum number is six. And that would mean if you got two against West Virginia, two against Oklahoma State, and two against Central Florida, then you would get to play six games against sub-75 net teams. That's the yeah. max you could get. Okay. Kansas State gets five. They get Oklahoma State twice, West Virginia twice, and Central Florida once. So the schedule, as much as anything else, 
yeah. is going to give them a shot to finish 500 in the Big 12. And if they do that, finish at least 500 in the Big 12, they're going to go dancing for the second straight year under Jerome Tate. Two edges to that sword, though, and I know you know this, but just for our listeners so they don't get confused, obviously your league record has zero impact on whether you get in or how you Right, right, right. I'm it. just saying it is a fact. I know you well, know. I'm just saying yeah, for our it, listeners. Yeah, uh, yeah, to clarify, yes. being 500 in the Big 12 doesn't guarantee admission. I'm just saying every year since 2015, yes. every team that's finished 500 in the Big 12 has made the tournament when we had a tournament. Yes, and uh, league record is completely irrelevant when it comes to inclusion or seeding, but uh, those things have correlated also, though, by nature of having so many of those games outside top 75 competition, uh, K-State's obviously going to have to get it done against the, the, you know, the, the quad one games because it could, it could be an interesting situation if it gets into the tournament with a high loss total where it winds up getting seeded. Sticking in the Big 12 real quickly, um, I truly don't have an issue with this. I just got a chuckle out of it. Uh, Cincinnati beat TCU in another overtime game in the Big 12. Uh, TCU ranked 19th. It was the second top 25 win for Cincinnati this season. Wes Miller is trying to really build something there. And then the, the fans just decided, what the hell? We're going we're gonna to flood the floor. So to Cincinnati fans out there, you know what? Go ahead. Have yourself a, a ball. But it is TCU. And it's not like you just got your first rank win of even this season. It's not like TCU is a top 10 team or a top five team. It's 19th overall and uh and i know xavier fans are having xavier got an, uh, a good home win on wednesday it's a little bit of an up and down season for sean miller's group there and so i think for for the x-men and the x-women they are they got a a little bit of a schadenfreude over cincinnati's fans just deciding what the hell we're here let's get out there tcu gp Courts, I, I honestly, is it the first time TCU has ever been court stormed in the history of the program? I, it might that, be that that might be like has TCU ever watched I I, a court I don't get stormed so. against them? It might. I, I don't come a long so. way. They've come a long way. Um, I don't mind it. Like Cincinnati, been I'm so jealous of Cincinnati as mm. as a Memphis graduate. Okay. Like, I was raised on the Metro, and then after the Metro, I was raised on the Great Midwest Conference. I grew up with Cincinnati. And to watch them get to host Big 12 games now while Memphis <laughs> is hosting UT San Antonio, it just makes me sick. I, I hate watching them have so much fun. Central Florida, too. <laughs> Central Florida, too. Like, I watched Central Florida storm the court last week against Kansas. Memphis was, in, over, Memphis was in overtime against UT San Antonio. I was like, what is happening? Ah, uh, that is you are tapping into a vein there for the entire Tigers fan base. That is not it's not an accurate Cincinnati. Good win by you. Interesting team. Um, see how they shake out. And in in obviously a very intriguing Big 12. I'll also note um, NC State five and one in the ACC for the first time since 88, 89 at 183, 76 over Wake Forest. Uh, we got the double. Bur <laughs> we got the double bird. Uh, just a weird night. Call. We got the double. Okay, so how about this? So I got the I got the uh, YouTube TV quad box going on the TV, and then I got. Uh, I guess at that point, I don't remember if Peacock still had Purdue Indiana going on, but I had multiple viewing situations. So I'm watching. I'm watching the end of NC State Wake, and DJ Horn goes to the line and he flips a double bird. <laughs> and at the time, at the time, like I see it, and I'm like, did I see what I just? Saw? I was like, there's because I almost tweeted. I was like, did I just see? Uh, an NC State player 
just double bird. And, but I didn't tweet it. I was like, there's no way I saw that. I'm not going to put that out there. And people are arguing like, what the hell are you talking about? No, lo and behold, DJ Horn went to the line <laughs> and shot up a double bird. And whether it was at the officials or the fans, he was at home. So I don't think like, I don't think there was a Wake Forest contingent behind the basket. And then he, he tweeted his apologies after young man, you do not need to do no, that. Was, never. Was, I don't know whether since he stormed the floor after beating Texas Christian University or DJ Horn going double bird was the funniest moment of the night, but is one A one B as far as I'm concerned. No, well, the funniest is is the double bird, and I lo- like I don't need a I don't need a double bird where you're like caught up in the moment and it's just like ah! I I like how casual and cool it was. It <laughs> yeah. was like it was like <laughs> just, yeah. it was so good. Yes, it was so I was. good. I loved it. Do not never apologize for being hilarious. You should I, never I, have to apologize for being hilarious. Completely agree. That was a it was a brutally officiated game. Kevin Keats got, <laughs> got tossed. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Anderson had wanted nothing to do with it. There were multiple ejections. Hunter Salas got ejected uh, amongst others. So yeah, it was a uh, weird game. NC State five and one though in the league for the first time since eighty eight eighty nine. Wolfpack, good on you. Let's go to the Mountain West. New Mexico um, got another quad one win. Um, and you know a, a good one at home against uh, against Utah State, so helping the Mountain West case there. But Boise State got dropped at home by UNLV. Uh, that was a CBS Sports Network game, twenty-two game home st- win streak. That was the longest in the country. It's now over for the Broncos, and so just you know, it's 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 a knock for them. Uh, so uh, good for the Mountain West, I think, for New Mexico to continue to get the the win. Boise State to lose and. Man, that game just took forever. Um, but uh, but those were the doings Buddy, there. In the you ain't got to tell me. I know you were in studio. I was thinking about you. I was like, <laughs> there were a couple instances last night where, like, I, I at one point I got up to like go brush my teeth because I was like, it, there were like three or four games over the course of like an hour, an hour twenty, where the reviews were like elongating each of these games by an extra ten to fifteen minutes. I was like, this is just. This is a pox on the sport. Like, what are we doing here, man? So I was thinking yeah. about that that Vegas Boise State game. Like, come on already. Um, last thing I got for you, Sanford won. Uh, again, 16 straight wins for Bucky Ball. Bucky McMillan's team won 75-71 at Western Carolina. That could well be your SoCon championship title game preview. Those have been the two best teams in the SoCon this season. Um, good on Sanford to win uh, its 16th in a row. And let me check this. I believe it was, uh, it might've been Sicko's committee that tweeted this out. Someone tweeted it out and hit my timeline. Sanford has never rated ahead of, oh, here we are, Wednesday morning. Sanford has apparently never rated ahead of Stanford in the history of Ken Palm. And here we are, Wednesday morning, Stanford is 80. Sanford is 81. Stanford at nine and seven. The Cardinal 80th at Ken Palm. Sanford at 16 and two, right behind. We are on the cusp of history, my friend. Sanford, one of the best mid-majors in the country. And maybe, I was telling you earlier this season, you know, maybe James Madison could be this year's uh, um, uh, Florida Atlantic. Now, man, Sanford is that team right now. They are they are getting it done. And uh, and congrats to them because it's been a, it's been a good while since they've had a, a huge season of note like this. Indiana's 94. I know. <laughs> Sanford has officially passed Indiana in the rankings, although I don't think this was the first time. But yes, yes. And that's your Tuesday night in college hoops. Norlander led his court report with a conversation he had with Tom Izzo. We'll get into that next. But first, one more word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Deadleg, you spent, I gather, 40 minutes on the phone with Tom Izzo. You led the court report uh, on on that. I read it. I read it. Breeze right through it. No problem. There we go. What'd you learn from your conversation with Tom Izzo? Uh, yeah, I gave him a call on Monday, just kind of checked in, got to talk. We got to talking about a lot, um, as is often the case, and this is a good problem to have. Izzo, you know, the conversation was over and most of it was on the record. He asked to, to go off the record just a couple of times there. But at the end of it, I'm like, I've got too much stuff. <laughs> Tom, I got you gave me too much. So uh, should Michigan State veer back into top 25 territory? Um, I can use some of that stuff down the road, but that was not uh, subject to the court report. The court report was about this. Uh, his good friend Nick Saban just uh, retired uh, in semi-shocking fashion, obviously, and they got into the business together basically at the same time when they were you know, young pups at Michigan State in the 80s. This is before they became head coaches at Michigan State in the same season, in the same year, I should say, in 1995. So we talked a little bit about saving. There's some stuff in there. And then in the midst of talking about what Michigan State's been this season and some of the struggles, um, I did ask if he you know, has had been considering retiring. Would he put it as a possibility that he would retire in 2024? And he said, he said, no, absolutely not. And uh, to hear him, to, and you know, we'll link this in the, in the episode description so you can read it, but uh, he does not intend on retiring anytime soon. He did say that when he does retire, um, he very much sees him going out like Jay Wright and Nick Saban. And by that being, all right, maybe the day of or the day before, you know, he didn't say this explicitly. This is me reading into it. Like maybe it leaks out 24 hours before we actually get the word. Um, but he is not going to have a farewell tour. He doesn't want something to be, even be known, you know, a month plus. Uh, so Tom, you are on the hook. If you, if you retire in April, I'm, I'm coming for your ass. Cause you told me on the record, it won't be happening, but he does have that capacity if he wants it, but he's got Jace Richardson, highly uh, ranked prospect coming in next year. Son of Jason Richardson, of course. And it was interesting to hear Izzo who is always willing. And I do so very much appreciate this. He's willing to be on the record about so many issues that piss him off. And so once again, he, he went into, of the problems that he has when it comes to college athletics. He's not anti-name, image, and likeness. He's not players transferring. He's benefited from transfers. He gets all that. He It just doesn't sit well with him, this idea that across the sport, there are too many players who are transferring where he doesn't believe that that should be the case. On a, on a player-by-player basis, you know th- that's a different thing than when you scan and you used to see you know, 2,000 players hopping into the portal. 
that's I I didn't get too far down that rabbit hole with him, but I understand that he told me that he wants to fight the system. <laughs> and his quote was, "The system might get me." I'll try and say it the way I'll I'll try and relay the quote with tone the way he said it to me. He goes, "And the system might get me. The system may get me, but the system may not get me." How about that? That's what he said. I was like, "Well." Well, you're fighting the system right now. Rage against the machine. Tom, Tom Izzo. Well, maybe Tom Izzo. Maybe maybe this is this is no longer the shotgun. Maybe, maybe this is now for Tom Izzo. I was thinking Tom Izzo is more like public enemy. <laughs> All the more. Exactly. So um, he's on the record. He's not retiring in 2024 because this had been... I would say there was just some open speculation around the sport. Like, man, Tom, it's, you know, every other week he's given a quote here, quote there. Team's a little bit up and down. Like, could he just up and retire? So um, he had not really answered this directly on the record, to my knowledge, in recent months, if not years. He's sticking around. I think he'll be here at least a few more years. What, what was your takeaway from the story? Um, I, you would agree. I think Tom would agree. He is what people label a, quote, old school coach, right? Yes, sure. okay. Yes. okay. So I completely understand how an old school coach would be frustrated by the dramatic changes <laughs> in in the sport um in the way that he is required to do his job his job has changed dramatically just like everybody else's has and i can understand as you are you know at what we normally call retirement age in america and after you've had so much success to to watch the sport just be flipped upside down by all of these things i get how that would be frustrating and i understand how there are certain situations that are exactly as Tom describes them, which is somebody runs into a little bit of adversity and rather than fight through it, they uh, they say, I'm just getting out of here. I can transfer. I'm just going to go find a new home. The only thing I am resistant of um, or hesitant to, 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 to go all the way with them on is that, and I know he didn't say this. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but the implication is that like players are transferring and this is a lot and this is not good for the sport. And whether it's good for the sport or not has never really been something I care about too much. I, I just care about is it is it fair to the student athlete? I, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever consider whether something is good for the sport, but I'm more interested in like, is it fair for the student athlete? And I don't think student athletes should have restrictions on them in that way, in the way that that some coaches would like us to go back to. and. Um, I don't think every player who transfers is running from something. And again, I know Tom didn't say that, but I just, I, I you, you get that suggestion from coaches a lot. Like if you train, if, if you're not getting the playing time you want, or you're not uh, you know, getting the number of shots per game you want, and you decide to transfer, then you're running from something. And I just don't think that's always true. Like sometimes you're just looking for a better opportunity, something different. Like every time you, break up with somebody you're in a relationship with are you running from something or have you recognized perhaps that this isn't a good relationship for me like every time somebody gets divorced they're not running from something sometimes it's just like hey we, we thought this would be great it's not it's time to move on like was, was josh pastner running from something as a coach when he left memphis for georgia tech I mean, maybe <laughs> that's my point right but we don't know, well, oh my God, it's so shameful. It's like, yo, man, if you stay at Memphis, you're on the hot seat. Georgia Tech's willing to give you a brand new contract, and Memphis is willing to pay you to take it. Maybe it's time to shock a smart. 
You know, he was at Texas. I don't know that um, the Marquette job is is a better job than the Texas job. I do know this. When Chaka was at VCU, he was offered the Marquette job, didn't take it. And then he was offered the Texas job, and he did take it. So then why did he leave Texas for Marquette? Well, because things were getting difficult. Like, he just lost in the first round, and if you come back, you're on the hot seat, and if you have a bad year, you might be gone. Like, is he running for something, or is he just running to something, something better, something um, that 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 feels like a, a, a better situation? Um, just in the sport, Bryce Hopkins went to Kentucky, couldn't play, left. Was he running for something or was he just looking for something better? Went to Providence and became an All-American candidate. Um, Joe Burrow went to Ohio State, sat on the bench, decided to transfer. Was he running from something or did he just say, God, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to keep watching. I want to go play. By the way, he signed a $275 million contract last September. So I, I just don't. And I, again, I know Tom didn't say this, but too often I hear from not just coaches, but fans too. like people transferring is like the worst thing in the world. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a, it's symbolic of issues facing the youth of America. And I just don't always, I don't always buy that. Yeah. For, I had a line in the story, uh, kind of linking Saban and Izzo's coaching philosophies and mantras, really lifestyle, to be honest, where something that is worth doing should be hard to achieve essentially like if it's not hard then something's gone wrong and Izzo particularly leans heavily into this notion and so he likes players obviously that want to come play for him and have this mindset where like yeah no it's I'm, I'm gonna have bad days like it's gonna be tough there are gonna be days where I might not even like myself because of how I performed in practice or in a game etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know what then I'm going to say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it even better. It's going to make me a better person. I think Izzo just wishes that uh, his worldview on this, which was way more common 15 years ago, not even getting into 30 years ago, was out there. And it's just not. And um, he did say, he said, I think I can adapt to it better than than the kids most times, which which is an interesting quote. It might be uh, it might be half accurate, half inaccurate. But he, the, the thing that he wrapped on, he actually talked about this and we got away from it. And then as we just as we close, he went back to it. And I put the quote in the story where I do believe Izzo has a genuine and concern. You could argue is the, is the concern misplaced. I'm just telling you. Oh, his heart. I want to be clear. His heart's in the right place. His heart is in the right place. And he talked about I mean, he talked with me about this in July at the Peach Jam last year. And you know what? I think he talked about it with me in the Peach Jam the year before and, and multiple times. And he's talked about it with so many people. He has genuine concern that there are going to be hundreds, if not thousands of players that just wind up taking this crooked route through college. Do they graduate? Do they not graduate? They get to 22, 23, 25 years old, and they're kind of left standing there, and they're like, damn, did I did I make the right decision? Some will, some will not. That is life. You, you learn from your mistakes, et cetera. But it, does seem, it seems to weigh on him in a genuine way that I understand if you're a cynic when it comes to this stuff and it's like, oh, millionaire coaches. I'm just telling you with Izzo, his heart is in the right place and it is those issues that continue to gnaw at him. And it's almost like he refuses to give up on the profession and to give up on coaching because he wants to power through and hope that whenever he does retire, whether it's a year from now, two, three, five years from now, where his university is and where college athletics is, is in a better place. Like he is, he is a man almost pushing against a tidal wave at this point. And I find him to be 
because of that, one of the more fascinating characters we have in all of sports. Yeah, his heart is in the right place. Like he does care genuinely and deeply about the sport of college basketball. And he has big ideas about how it should look and how it should work. Um, I'm appreciative of all that. It's just often when I hear people say things uh, under the umbrella of what you just said, I can always counter it by saying, yeah, that's just that's not unique to basketball players. That's that's young people in general. Like if your concern is that, man, basketball players are going to get into college and then when things get hard, they might give up or go somewhere else. Um, well, yeah, like the, the young people that thousands of basketball players might do that. Millions of other people do that every year. You know, they 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 struggle in school. They don't fight through adversity. They they uh, take a semester off to bartend or travel, go start a band in California. It's the same thing I used to hear all the time with the NBA draft. Like, well, the reason you don't want high school players entering the NBA draft straight out of high school is because, you know, some of them are going to make bad decisions. Okay, sure. Some high school graduates are going to make bad decisions. That's America. That's the world. Like, let's, let's, I, I'm more interested in allowing them the right to make whatever decision they want to make than I am in restricting those decisions. Um, I'll let, I'll let, other people's parents worry about those people and I'll let those people make their decisions the same way. When I was young, I was able to make mine. It's just all of this stuff. I get it. I get where it comes from. I just, um, I don't, I don't think it's as big of an issue as some other people seem to think. Parrish has got to get out of here in just a minute. So quick heads up TV guy for you. What to watch for Wednesday night here. Best game of the night. Creighton 18th ranked at UConn. That'll be a pretty big time one right there. Uh, Mississippi State plays at number eight, Kentucky. You've got Texas Tech 25th in the rankings at number five, Houston. Very fascinated with that game. See what Houston can do to rebound after a couple of road losses. Meanwhile, Texas Tech, as mentioned earlier, yet to lose on the road. If Grant McCaslin's team were to beat Houston, uh, that may well have to lead our Friday show. USC plays at number 12, Arizona. Feels like a get-right game for the Wildcats. We'll see what the Pac-12 has to offer up. And then Nevada at San Diego State is yet another must-see Mountain West matchup. So those are some of your best ones on Wednesday night. And then on Thursday night, we've got 14th-ranked Illinois at Michigan. Was nice to see the Fab Five reconvening on Monday for the first time ever at a Michigan home game since they all played together at Michigan. Um, that was pretty awesome to see. We'll see if Michigan... Obviously, not having a good season can capitalize on uh, on some good mojo there. Minnesota plays at Michigan State, and then Oregon plays at Colorado on Thursday. That's actually a halfway decent Pac-12 matchup there. Oregon gets to lose in Pac-12 league play. Colorado has it seemingly has an NCAA tournament future. So that's your Wednesday and Thursday night in college years. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Huck Larnell. Thank you guys once again for watching, listening to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple, Spotify. More of us than there are of them. That should be reflected in the comments. So do that, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.